Welcome to Aphesis Church Podcast Channel. If you're in Columbia, South Carolina area, we would love to get to know you better and for you to experience what Aphesis is all about. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at aphesischurch.com. It is our prayer that this message truly speaks to you. God bless. Jesus. Lord, we love you so much, God. Love you so much, Lord. Amen. While you're standing, we'll go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 6 through 11. It says, now when, verse 6, now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simone the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to, saying what purpose is this waste? Um, for this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. In, in John's account, John basically blames uh, Creepy Judas that we learned about a couple weeks ago. John, in his account, blames Creepy Judas for stirring up the disciples uh, and having this... Um, you know, this ungrateful perspective to say, man, this, you know, this could have been going to waste, but Jesus was quick to rebuke them. In verse 10 here, he says, when Jesus understood it, he said unto them, why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. Amen. With the Lord's help today, I want to just speak on this subject, the poor ones. If you, you can be seated here this morning, the poor ones. Um, the poor you will have with you always. Um, I hope to explain and, and, and maybe join with a lot of you who, you know, perhaps already agree with this, that, you know, this phrase is an invitation to continue caring for those who are less fortunate. Uh, it's not an invitation to ignore the needs of others. And if I'm being honest and transparent, I've been that one <laughs> to, uh, uh, ride down the road or drive down the road and and I'll see somebody on the side of the road begging alms and, and begging for you know five bucks I don't know their story maybe they're a billionaire dressed in in a poor man's cloak uh, I, I don't know but I've been that one to say nah I'm not going to give anything because Jesus said the poor you will have with you always it won't make a difference anyway and uh, so you know in in Studying this out, and, and I'm not sure why the Lord laid this on my heart. Um, I'm actually not even sure how this is going to go this morning, but we'll see. <laughs> um, but in in uh, studying this and, you know, just praying and whatnot and trying to, to, to be obedient to what I feel the Lord has laid on my heart, um, I was rebuked when I thought about those moments and those times in my life that I've, that I've held that perspective. And I know exactly where it comes from. It comes from this idea, this philosophy in the West that, you know, hey, man, every man's for himself, right? We're, we're all independent. You know, I, I made a way for myself and this person can do the same thing. Well, we don't really truly know the stories of other people's. And if I could be frank, it's not really... Um, it's not really our job to judge whether or not that person is a hardworking individual or just a bum on the streets. Uh, but if you feel that, I guess what I'm trying to get at is when we feel that urge not to do something, maybe those are the moments we need to do something uh, to be obedient to what I feel God has, has called the church to be. Uh, for me, 
this time of year, Thanksgiving, Christmas, it, it, it brings to mind the joy of having. It brings to mind the gratitude of provision throughout the year. Um, but it also brings to mind or is a reminder of responsibility because we have so much. In Luke 12, 48, the Bible says, for to whom much is given, much is required. And, you know, I think about uh, Christmases gone, you know, in the past and stuff and and uh, the, the holiday season of the past. And I know that there are a lot of different stories and, and people have fond memories of these holidays and these times of the year. Um, you know, for me as a young man, I had the same expectations as many other American youth when it came to Christmas time. Uh, but my, like some others, my, um, my upbringing was a little bit different in the sense that, you know, what I saw, the work that I saw my mom, who was a single mom, I've mentioned that before, single mom raising five kids, the work that I saw her put into uh, trying to make sure that those American youth expectations were met, you know, it kind of makes me appreciate a little bit more what she did, but it also makes me say to myself, well, was it all worth it? I mean, sometimes around these, these holidays, this holiday season, my mom would work two or three jobs just to meet those, uh, those, uh, those expectations. I remember one year in particular, she, uh, I'm gonna date myself a little bit, but she brought home an Xbox and a PlayStation like in the same year. And I was like, man, we are, we blessed. We are, we balling. Man, an Xbox and a PlayStation. See, I was that, um, she would, she would never say this, but I was her favorite. And, um, you know, so I knew, whereas she was trying to hide, uh, hide, and, you know, gifts and stuff, we didn't do put up Christmas trees and those types of things. We barely even had uh, gift wrappings. What my mom would do is she would take <laughs> black uh, trash bags uh, and she would put all of our gifts in the trash bags and then she would just keep the bags hidden uh, for us until until Christmas Day. And I remember uh, one Christmas in particular that stands out in my mind, uh, uh, lining the hallway. I, I mentioned before we moved a lot. So for whatever reason, this particular um, Christmas stands out to me. But I remember the, the black, you know, gallon sized trash bags lining the hallway of our apartment. And, um, you know, we all came out and she said, you know, Mattman, that's your bag, you know, uh, to my brother, that's your bag to my sisters, you know, and that that's your bag. None of the gifts were wrapped. They were all just put in the in the trash bags for us to, you know, to have fun, uh, have fun with them. But because I was my mom's favorite, I would always know what we had. So nothing was ever really a secret, you know. Uh, to me, but that year she even surprised me when she came on with an Xbox and a PlayStation. I was just like, man, thank you. Of course, I didn't believe in Jesus then, but thank you, God, you know, that mom was ever, mom was um, able to get this for us. And we, man, we had, we had a good time. Thanksgiving was no different. You know, we, we would have a big meal. Uh, but again, it often meant that mom was working maybe the, the night before working the night before extremely hard only to come home uh, hard and late to come home and then have to cook an entire meal. And while we helped, you know, still she's got her flair. She's got her, her, uh, her rhythm in the kitchen. And so, you know, a lot of it was, Hey, you know, put the pot, put some water in the pot. Don't worry about seasoning. I'll take care of it. The point is she did everything. She had five of us, but she was still doing uh, everything. Um, and so, I, uh, I have a, 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 to me, 
Um, for most people, I think I have a unique perspective when it comes to Thanksgiving and Christmas. And again, I'm sure you all have uh, fond memories and things and stories that you can tell. But for me, it was a little bit of a different time of year. We were the poor ones, um, but yet we didn't go without. And I'd, I'd like to be able to say that, you know, there was a church that reached out to my family. I'd like to be able to say that there was a, you know, a, 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 a church down the street that, that helped and did all these things for us to, to help us out. But the, the, the truth of the matter is, there wasn't. There were churches, but there were no churches that had a focus on the poor ones. Um, and I know that there's a, probably a couple things that go into that. Number one, uh, you know, with mom's uh, religious experience, uh, a lot of it, she didn't really trust anybody. Uh, and so if there were, was a church that would reach out to us, she probably would be hesitant to allow them to do what they feel God had called them to do. And we can look at that and go, well, that's her fault. But I, I, I'll say again to this, you know, we can never be too, we can never be oversensitive to the needs or the perspective of others. Um, who are not in the church. And when somebody shows up and they have a unique story, they have a, a, a story that causes them trepidation, a story that causes them to, uh, again, to not trust the church, you know, we should be sensitive to that. We should say, hey, I understand you, I understand that, and then continue to love them as much as we can. Now, we're not Christ, we're not God, we don't have that, uh, that long-suffering love, if we're just being honest, we don't have that long-suffering love, but my God, you know, to, to be a light to somebody who is less fortunate, to be a light to the poor ones, to be a light to uh, somebody who's looking for light, even though they don't, even, even if they don't even realize they're looking for a light, um, I believe that that individual, that church would be blessed. But here in Matthew chapter 26, we see Jesus here at Simone the leper's house. And I wanted to note the location because this guy is at the, Jesus is at the house of somebody who is a former leper. And Jesus had a reputation of hanging around people that others were uncomfortable with. He had a reputation for, for joining with people who others would, you know, shun or, or push to the side or say, man, I just don't have the time, you know, to deal with this. I've got my own issues. I've got my own things that I'm, uh, that I'm dealing with in my own life. But, but Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he had this way, this act, this, uh, this knack, this um, uh, propensity towards those who were less fortunate. Simone was a leper. Again, known by his previous condition. And in fact, in studying this, I, I, I noted or saw something interesting. I'll put this here, see what you think about it. Um, some have even suggested that Simone the leper and Lazarus, the resurrected, may have actually been the same person. And this is because Matthew and Mark mention Simone while John mentions Lazarus. But all four Gospels assume one house, that they were all at one house, at the house in Bethany. Um, now, whether or not they were brothers, whether or not Simone was Lazarus's father, there are those, there are those ideas as well. Uh, but in some way, these two, if they're not the same person, these two are related. What I take from that is here at this household where there is a lot of brokenness, if we, if we, whether we believe that they are the same person or whether we believe that they are two different people, we have here at this house in Bethany, uh, a family who is fond or is familiar with brokenness, 
who is familiar with being the poor ones, familiar with being less fortunate. You want to, we talked about leprosy before. You want to talk about the, um, the, the, the shame that came with that, the separation that came with that. I mean, you wouldn't even be able to hold down a job, wouldn't be able to, to operate or function in normal society because of your condition. But these are the people that Jesus Christ hung around. These are the people that he welcomed. These are the people that he, as the Bible says, had meat with, had supper with. These are the people that, you know, uh, I imagine sitting at the Last Supper. These people who had unsavory pasts and histories and, uh, I mean, all, all, all manner of disease, whether mentally, you know, financially, uh, relationally. Jesus Christ attracted himself to these people who were less fortunate. The point I'm trying to make is that Jesus hung out with weirdos. <laughs> he hung out with the excommunicated, but he also hung out with the redeemed. He did that too, because those same people that he was a light for or light to, when they really uh, grabbed a hold of his message, although their past might have been one thing, their, their present and their future now, they can say, I'm redeemed. I've been changed. I've been, I've been made new. I've been made whole. I was the poor one. And in some instances still am, but my life is so much more enriched and better because I have Jesus Christ in my life. These were the people that he suffered with. These were the people that he suffered for. But also in the very next verse, verse seven, Jesus is greeted by what I assume to be a wealthy woman. Um, we know that this woman who had the alabaster box. And that's the, that's, that's the reason I say she was a wealthy woman because poor people don't have alabaster boxes. If you know anything about alabaster, if you know anything about the contents of an alabaster box, these, these rare and expensive essential oils, right? You don't, you don't see that in a poor person's house, but with her sacrifice on this day, she would become a poor one. She would become somebody Hmm. She would become somebody who didn't or wouldn't have much. This alabaster box was typically used as a dowry down payment. And the size of the box determined its value. I don't know how, I don't know the size of this particular box. But again, the very fact that she had a box meant that she probably had some means. Maybe she wasn't wealthy, wealthy. You know, especially in this day, this age, 90% of the population was, was considered poor. <laughs> But she had some form of means because she had and owned this alabaster box. But today, on this day, her sacrifice meant that she, that now she would have nothing. She would have very little or, you know, unless she had a second alabaster box, which was even more rare because of the, the, the value and the expense associated with having such an item. But her sacrifice prepared Christ for burial as he notes in Matthew 26, 12, but she also had to be prepared to never marry because she didn't have this dowry anymore, this down payment that her family would have saved up for her to give to her future husband. What can she bring to the table now? So there's a, there's a lot happening in this story in these few verses that we can, we, we can and should appreciate. This woman, this wealthy woman, or, or I, I, I won't even assume she's wealthy. Let's assume she's at least middle class. In one moment, in one instance, she was downgraded in class, in stature. 
because she would, to, to not bring anything to the table in a marriage, in a wedding, or, or to a husband, a future husband in those days meant it was a death sentence for a female because now she would have to continue to live off of dad's land uh, or mom's land, or, or women didn't own land back then. But she would have to live off of, uh, off of her family's uh, estate, if you will. But the whole goal in getting married is to lighten the load a little bit. You know, mom and dad's been doing this for, you know, 20 something years, 18 years, 30, whatever, 30 something years. It's time for you to go off and, 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 and join with your husband, right? But well, she can't do that now. She has nothing to offer, nothing to bring to the table. So in one moment, she became a poor one. This is why Jesus said, wherever this gospel is preached, what she did today will also be told. You see, Jesus understood the weight of what she was doing. The disciples missed it. They were concerned with the value of the box, not with the value of the sacrifice. They were concerned with, with this woman's waste, not realizing the weight of what she just did and how she became, willingly became a poor person. What Jesus tells them in Matthew 26 points to a principle in the Old Testament, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about here. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15 here in Matthew 26, Jesus draws on this poverty principle from Deuteronomy chapter 15. Uh, and just as an overview, Deuteronomy 15 addresses God's law regarding the year of release, the treatment of the poor brother, and the treatment of the poor foreigner. Okay, that's important. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 1 through 3. At the end of every seven years, thou shalt make a release, and this is the manner of the release. Every creditor... That lendeth, that lendeth unto his neighbor shall release it. He shall not exact it of his neighbor or of his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner thou mayest exact it again, but that which is thine with thy brother, thine hand shall release. So this is, a, this is the sabbatical year. Every seven years, under the Mosaic law, they were to release the debts of their brothers. They were to release the debts of their brothers. Now, the Bible says, if there's a foreigner in your land, you can keep charging him debt. But for your brother, you need to release him. Forgive him of that debt that he owes you. Now, why would God establish this principle? I believe these laws are presented to a people accustomed to Egyptian living. And God needed to reprogram the people from their slave mentality. Because in Egypt, you know, in Egypt, my daddy's dad's dad, dad is a slave or was a slave. And I, I today am still a slave. You see, there was no release in Egypt. Just perpetual slavery, perpetual tyranny for God's people, a perpetual state of poverty. But God wanted to reprogram the people and say, we're not going to operate the way you're used to and the way your people have been accustomed to over the last 400 years. We're not going to operate that way. I want you every seven years to release your brother. And I'm, I'm, I'm harping on that for a reason. Every seven years, I want you to release your brother from the debt that he owes. If it's land, if he owes you, if he owes you for land that you bought him, release him. If he, for whatever reason he owes you, release him of that debt. This is the second reason why I believe God would establish this principle. I believe it's a call back to Eden. In, a, in, a, in sort of a microcosm way. Because 
in Eden, from the beginning, when God banished the people, banished Adam and Eve out of the, out of the Garden of Eden, it was, because of their, it was because of their sin. They couldn't come back in. But if you read throughout, uh, you know, the, um, the Torah, the, the Genesis, the Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of these books, when you read throughout there and pay attention, there are little small, little, uh, little nuggets, if you will, that uh, shows as a pattern of what God was trying to do with his people to welcome them back into right relationship with him. Okay. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a system of, uh, it was a temporary system. But what it was, was a, a welcome back, welcome back into right relationship. Well, to be in right relationship with God meant that we were back in Eden. It means that we get to exist again in a small way, exist again in the presence of almighty God in his, in his presence. So this, this releasing was a little bit of a, of a, of a callback to Eden. Welcome back into right relationship. I owed my brother. He's releasing me of that debt. Welcome back in to right relationship. And in fact, the Bible even says later on that in, in Deuteronomy 15, that in that year of release, don't have any ought against your brother. Don't say it's the year of release. Oh man, I've got to release him from this debt. No, don't have that perspective. Do it with joy, with jubilee, with gladness that you get to be able to release the poor one, to release the one in debt from the debt that they owed. The Bible says that if you do have this mindset of, of woe is me, I don't, I'm not going to have anybody in my back pocket that owes me. If you do have that mindset, the Bible says it will be a sin to you. So this is how serious God was about it. It will be a sin to you. And in fact, the brother who you've released gets an opportunity to be a tattletale. Not that God doesn't know, but they get to be a tattletale. Hey, man, look at God. Look at what this my brother's done. He's not released me from this debt. God says it's going to be, it's going to be a sin. It's going to be a sin unto you. Now, how many of us wouldn't mind having our debts released every seven years? Raise your hand. Come on. That should be everybody. If you own debt, man, I would love that every seven years. The government be like clean, washed away, but we know they can't do that. They won't do that. <laughs> no, no, no. There's something about being indebted to others. There's something about, um, Hmm. This, this uh, control, if you will, keeping others in debt to you. But see, Jesus, Jesus would give us that ability to be free from those debts. My goodness, am I going this slow or is time just moving really fast? Okay, let me move on. <laughs> it's already 1040. Okay. Thank you. In the Western mind, we identify with the first part of verse 3. If you could put uh, Deuteronomy 15, three up again, we identify with the first part where it says, release the foreigner from the debt of a foreigner. Thou mayest exact it again. I'm sorry. Of a foreigner, thou mayest exact it again. We, I, we, we, we can, we can connect to that, right? Because if somebody owes me, you gonna owe me with interest. That's how we feel. But the second part, the releasing, we don't, we don't so much jive with that when it's, when it's us who's owed. We don't want no part of that. I, I, I'm not releasing you. I'll release you when your debt is paid. That's the, that's the attitude we have oftentimes. Oftentimes, though, we treat the brother like a foreigner, and I believe it's because we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. 
Now, that has multiple connotations. But in this sense, we, 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 the collective we, I know everybody's got different perspectives, but the collective we, we're so fat, so full, so rich for all intents and purposes that we sometimes don't see the poverty in the world. It's easy, it's easy to ignore. I'm not, I'm not getting on anybody. I'm not beating up anybody. I'm just, I'm, I just want to put this before you. What you do with it is up to you. But we're so, we're so full, so satisfied that the way we see the world is that the world is satisfied, the world is full, but it's, that's not the case. When you really take a step back and just kind of take a minute to get out of the mirror, look around, you'll see the poverty. And I'm not just talking about financial poverty. You see the poverty of, of broken relationships, people not having the, the, the skill to be able to improve their life. We mistake sometimes, we say, well, I've got the willpower to, to bring myself up out of this situation. Why don't they? Sometimes it's not about will. Really, it's skill because we have what's been passed down, the way we operate, the way we learn, the way we function in life is learned behavior. I said it earlier, my daddy's dad's dad, dad was a slave. How, how, how well do you think the grandson of somebody who was a slave, or let me, let me make it a little bit more closer. How well do you think the father, the, the son of, of somebody whose father was a slave, how well do you think that individual will know how to bring himself up out of that situation? The question is, the answer is he won't, he or she won't. Unless by some miracle, by some grace of God, this individual is, is given some insight to know, hey, let me, let me juke this way and try to go a different route. But the vast majority of those people, the poor ones, the, the, one in, the ones in bondage, it's not a matter of will. Obviously, they've got strong will to be able to, to, to build Pharaoh's temples and, 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 uh, and, and uh, objects and artifacts for 400 plus years. They've got a strong will, but they don't have the skill to change their life. And so my hope in saying this is that the next time we see somebody who might be less fortunate, we won't judge them for lack of will, but we'll pray for them that maybe God will help them in the skill department, that God would help them to, to know how to come out of that situation. And you might be the answer. You might be the one to point them to the answer. Now, when we see an impoverished individual or family, what we think oftentimes is that in the West, you know, this issue of poverty is your issue. This is, this is your problem. But in the Bible, poverty isn't our issue. It's a community issue. This was God's vision. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse four through six. God's vision. He says, but there will be no poor among you for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly, strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. 
Now, this was God's vision for the people, that, that the people would lend to other nations, would be, would be as, as one uh, uh, song said, that you would be a lender, not a borrower. This, is, this was God's vision for his people. But it came with a caveat. Verse 5, if only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. Now, these, now he's speaking to a people who've only known poverty for 400 plus years. He's speaking to a people who have been in slavery, in servitude, just 40 years before this, this Deuteronomy account. They're, they're, just for context, they're standing really just outside the promised land. They're at the gates of the promise that God gave them when he brought them out of Egypt. The old generations died off. These are now the young people who've lived in the wilderness, wilderness youth, if we can call them that. And they're right here at the, at the gates of the promised land. And God is saying, if only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, this is my vision for you. But we know, <laughs> as is the case often, the people won't achieve this vision. So God in his grace, he gives them a second provision. And these are the principles regarding how to care for the poor. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7 through 11. If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not burden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. Now, wait a second. We just read in verse 4, same chapter, that there won't be any poor among you. What's going on? He said there won't be any poor among you. But then he says, if there is poor among you, here's how you should treat them. Think about this for a minute. The only reason, now this has multi-generational implications. The only reason why poverty exists is because the people have failed in some way. We can put this in, in the context of Deuteronomy 15. The only reason that God had to give the provision in Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11 is because the people will fail in some way and cause poverty to exist in the land. We can apply that to ourselves today. The only reason America is about to be bankrupt is because our governments have failed in some kind of way. Now, I'm not going to go the political route because I know uh, <laughs> I might be crucified here today. But the only reason that these people, that we, we experience poverty, we experience hurt and pain, we experience sin, we experience these things, is because the people have failed in some way. Picking up in verse 8, chapter 15. But thou shalt open thine hand. There's a principle. Talking about poverty. How to, how to take care of the less fortunate. Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need. In that which he wanteth, beware that thou be not a thought there be not a thought in thy wicked heart saying the seventh year, this is what I was saying earlier, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand and thine eye be evil against thy brother and thou givest him nothing. And he cry unto the Lord, here's a tattletale, cry unto the Lord against thee and it be a sin unto thee. Verse 10, thou shalt surely give him and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. 
Verse 11, for the poor shall never cease out of the land. Doesn't that sound familiar? Matthew 26, Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. The poor shall never cease out of thy land. Therefore, I command thee, saying, thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to thy needy in thy land. The reality is this, the poor will never cease out of our land. Are we then to ignore the need because we'll never be able to eradicate poverty? We'll never be able to eradicate need? We'll never be able to eradicate uh, the less fortunate, the least of these? We'll never be able to, to solve this? I, 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 I commend, I simultaneously commend and laugh at organizations whose motto it is, we're gonna, we're gonna you know, er eradicate poverty. I'm going, man, uh, uh, that, that flies in the face of what the word says. You won't be able to eradicate it. But then I'm, I'm challenged as a believer because the next thought is really the, the most important one. Yes, it may not ever be eradicated, but are we at least gonna try to do something about or at least try to help the ones who are less fortunate? I know what season we're in and I know that our stores, our storehouses are already starting to fill up. <laughs> our storehouses are already starting to, to expand with things and toys and, um, you know, artifacts that, you know, your, your, your kids, your loved ones will probably play with for two weeks. And that's being conservative. Maybe this year we, we, the collective we, could do something different. Would we stop feeding our kids because we know they will always be hungry? Nay, I say, we wouldn't. Why feed them then? Why feed them? They'll just be hungry again in a few hours. That's not, that's not how we think when it comes to our family. So as the church, we shouldn't have the mindset, well, the poor will be there always anyway. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm not going to at least try to, try to help one person out of the situation. Man, I hope this is okay. Hmm. That's the poverty principle in the, New Test in the Old Testament. The poverty principle in the New Testament, Jesus Christ in Matthew 26, again, connects to what was happening in the Old Testament. And I said this earlier, the only reason why poverty exists, why need exists, why sin exists, why the less fortunate exist, is because the people have failed in some kind of way. In 2021, 11.6% of the U.S. population was considered to be impoverished. Um, and I know we might say, well, that's because of COVID. That's because of the, the things that um, that happened and people couldn't work and those types of things. But in reality, uh, 2020, 2020, the people were richer. The numbers show this. The people actually had more money and a lot of that had to do with government handouts. But this year, or, or last year data, shows that 11.6% and is expected to keep going up. U.S. population were considered to be impoverished. Interestingly, January of each year is National Poverty in American Month, in America Month. National Poverty in America Month. Why is it interesting? Well, because it follows the most expensive month of the year, December, Christmas time. 
I'll leave that there. The state of being poor or the state of being in poverty is as old as human history. Poverty can be defined, the World Bank Organization defines poverty as hunger. Poverty is the inability to provide for oneself the basic needs of life, food, water, shelter. And what I've done this morning is sort of taken um, the many different classifications of poverty and tried to put them into three classifications. Poverty can be situational, poverty can be generational, and poverty can be spiritual. Situational poverty could be a situation, no pun not intended, um, that maybe the markets crash. And so somebody who had, somebody who was fortunate, is no longer, is no longer that's no longer the case because of a damaging situation in their life. Generationally, again, likely due to the lack of education, likely due to the lack of skill. If mom and dad didn't have the, the skill or the, uh, the know-how to bring themselves up out of the situation, more than likely the children won't either. And it'll just be a continual cycle. But then maybe the one that we feel is most important, I believe all three are, maybe the one we feel though as a church is most important is spiritual poverty. Individual moral failings, but also moral failings of, can I say this, religious organizations. What are we doing as a body, as believers, to help somebody out of their spiritual poverty? Jesus says, the poor you will have with you always. But it's an invitation to continue the Old Testament principle of caring for those who are less fortunate. It's not an invitation to ignore the needs of others. So then the question becomes, if we're drawing on the Old Testament, and he says, do this unto thy brother, the question becomes then, who is your brother? Who are we to help? Matthew tells us of a point in Jesus' ministry where he's talking to the people. Jesus is here. He's talking to the people. He's given a sermon, uh, and presumably Jesus is long-winded. And uh, his family begins to knock at the door. They show up, and they, they start knocking on the door. Somebody in the crowd says, hey, Jesus, your brother and your mother are here. They need to speak with you immediately. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 48 through 50. But he answered and said unto him that told him, who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. Yes, Jesus didn't want to be interrupted. This is the same guy that was lost at, at uh, the age of 12 or so. Uh, and his mom, late, they later find him in the temple, and he's having these conversations with the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious of the day. And she rebukes him, and he says, woman, I need to be about my, my father's business. So yes, this is the same dude who didn't want to be interrupted when he's doing God's business, when he's doing kingdom business. But I also see that he expands on the idea about who my brother is. It's not just blood relation. It's not just other Israelites. But he says, regardless of blood relation, your brother is anyone who does the will of the father. That's who your brother is. That's who your brother is. So unto the least of these, at the judgment, 
king will gather all nations and separate the sheep from the goats. And we've heard so many different sermons, wonderful sermons, from this passage of scripture. Sheep on the right, goats on the left. Matthew 25, 34 through 40. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, these are the righteous, come ye blessed of my father. Watch this. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Now, notice here, there's a little bit of a comparison in John chapter 3, 3, and I'm making this connection on purpose. Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God. In Matthew, I don't see this, this scripture we just read about those who were going to inherit the kingdom of God. I don't see where there's any need for the, the, the Holy Ghost herky-jerky um, or, or, or baptism. Now, <laughs> I'm not suggesting and I hope you guys are hearing me. I'm not suggesting that these things are not important, but I think there's an important parallel here. Jesus says he cannot see in John 3, 3, he cannot see the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and born of spirit. But apparently not everybody who sees the kingdom of God will inherit the kingdom of God. And if you don't think, if we don't think that God would exclude us I bring to your memory Moses, who dealt with the Israelites for 40 plus years in the wilderness and all their complaining. These are the people of God. He dealt with them. And because of one instance where Moses didn't obey God, he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. If you recall, Moses stood on the mountain and he saw from a distance the promised land, but he was not able to enter. What's my point? My point is we need this, the plan of salvation to see the kingdom of God. But if we are to inherit the kingdom of God that God has prepared for us, we must be willing to serve the least of these. This is what I see in his word. Then shall the king say unto him on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And here's why you get to inherit it because of all these things you did. Now, the, the, the righteous say to him, now, when did we do this? When did we, when did we give you meat? When did, we, when did we provide water or drink for you? Shelter. When did we do these things? And he says to them, when you did it unto the least of these, Matthew 25, 34 through 40. Or 30, yeah, 34 through 40. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. You see, the righteous do this and don't even realize it because it's a natural divine law. They don't even realize that they're serving the poor. They don't even realize that they're, they're helping the least of these. 
because it's so ingrained in the righteous attitude, those who are striving to be as much like Christ as we can, we j they just do it naturally. They don't, even, they don't even realize it or recognize that that's what they're doing, but that's what they're doing. They don't even, they don't even necessarily see or brag about the fact that they're helping those who are less fortunate. They just, they just do it out of the abundance of their heart. Kind of calls to mind what, what God said in Deuteronomy. Don't have that evil heart that says, man, it's the year of release. I got to let somebody go. I got I to gotta set somebody free. No, no, no. Don't have that attitude, but do it out of the abundance of our heart with joy and jubilation because this is what God would want us to do. Now, while it's our responsibility as a body of believers, I believe today that, that somebody hearing this knows that God has called them specifically uh, to this area of service. Somebody whose ministry it will be to help us intentionally be a church who sees the poor ones. And I thank God for those who, who given, who again, given secret and they help uh, like uh, in North American missions and they provide donations there or they help with um, uh, Tupelo Children's Mansion. Mansion. These are all organizations that are part of the UPCI. I commend you for that. And I thank you for that. And I say to somebody here, hearing this, whether, whether in this building or not, maybe you felt God deal with you in this area. And I know that we as a church right now, we, we're sort of limited by space, right? In terms of, let's say, if we wanted to have a, a, a food pantry or, or a, a place where we store clothing for those who are less fortunate. I know we're limited by space, but man, I believe God can provide. I believe God can, can help us become a church who is more focused on the ones who are less fortunate. Folks, we, we are rich. Look around. Look around. We're rich. We're blessed. Amen. And, and I believe God wants to, wants to uh, give somebody that, let this message be for somebody that uh, validation and say, yeah, go forward. Of course, you need to work with pastor on how on a, to have something like that implemented. But it's something to think about. Let's all stand. It's a, it's a season of giving. <laughs> Amen. Let's give to the least of these. Lord, we love you. Thank you for today. God, I pray that as we go forward in the service, amen, help us to be and to practice what you have instructed your church, those who are righteous, the sheep, to be and to become. God, help us in the collective sense uh, to be focused on those who are less fortunate. And that may show up in so many different ways, God, financially, uh, spiritually, relationally. God, it, it, can, it can show up in many different ways. But I just pray that we would be, we would have this mindset and this conviction and this and the heart as you would have to be willing to hang out with those who are weirdos, those who are uh, uh, separated, those who are ca uh, cast out. Help us to be the church that you have called us to be. Amen. In Jesus' name. Everybody say it in Jesus' name. If you were encouraged by this message and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church, please visit EphesusChurch.com. Thank you for being a part 